Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, today I kind of wanted to go into a different line of topic. In the last couple weeks, I've had a number of people in my extended family pass away. And it has brought to some thoughts and some some feelings about it, about what is purgatory. And then we also went through the Divine Mercy Chaplet around the same time. And I forget which day of the chaplet is, but one of the days you end up reading is about how Christ is calling us to do all the planetary indulgences that her church can provide because we have no idea what purgatory is like. So with that being a thought that was in my head going through the Divine Mercy Chapel and just the thought of, you know, when someone passed away, it brings up recollection of not just that person who passed away, but but many others who went before you. And I kind of wanted to have this discussion about what the Divine Mercy Chaplet is meaning about purgatory, because I don't think most of us have a conception of that at all. I highly doubt most of us have any conception of what hell's like either. Um, so maybe that's a starting point. But that being said, that was the direction I wanted to just talk about, see what's going on. You know, I know that myself, I come from that type of person who likes to have super control. Um, very engineering background, like to have things build up nice and straight, make sure that, you know, there's logic to it. And there is a logic in the creation of, of God's will as well. We just don't understand it very well always. Because as we mentioned in the last cast, sometimes it requires you to take a step beyond your gut biological instinct. So with that being said, I wanted to give the floor to you because you're the one who has the answers that I'm trying to seek. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so sorry to hear about the loss of your family members. First of all, you know, and I, uh, I, I mean that it's a, regardless of where our faith is, a human loss is a human experience, an experience of loss. And so it's painful and it's worth uh, acknowledging that. And as we say in the funeral liturgy, we continue to console one another as we pray for our departed brother, sister, whoever it is. And so. Um, so it's good to to nurture those places in our hearts that grieve. We miss people, and that's human, and it's healthy. And we want that to open up in faith, not to squelch pain and loss, but rather to kind of infuse it. A little like I was talking about in the our last podcast about the the seeds of the gospel or the yeast of the gospel, that it's a kind of living thing and you press it into different areas. Well, one of the seeds of the gospel is, is hope. And our sorrow is a godly sorrow when it's also has the seeds of hope pressed into it. And so while we grieve, we also hope for reunion. We hope for better things for our loved ones. We hope for their, uh, eternal happiness in heaven. And we have a reason for our hope. We shouldn't grieve like the pagans who have no hope 
St. Paul said, and we should be ready, like St. Peter said, to have a reason, to give a reason for our hope. And the reason for our hope is Christ risen from the dead. He has conquered death by his death, and he has opened the gates for us to eternal life. And that applies to all of us. And so we have a reason for our hope. But we also are aware, you know, maybe thinking about our own death, or maybe we look at some of the limitations of our loved ones who maybe in the worst case weren't going to church or still were caught up in alcohol or, you know, still kind of crude or whatever. You know, we we see behavior in them that we think, I can't quite imagine that behavior in heaven. (laughs) And so maybe there's like some distance between where I am or where I perceived my loved one to be and where I perceive the saints in heaven to be. And that's very reasonable, reasonable to see that kind of distinction and to expect that heaven would be full of people who are perfect, at least in love. So that's the kind of perfection that we're interested in Christianity is perfect in love, perfect in charity. And certainly we can see it ourselves. You know, if I were to die right now, I can tell you it's not perfect in this realm of the world here, in the Father Boniface world. There's uh, still quite a bit of work to do. So to really be perfect in love. Well, so what happens if you die and you're not perfect in love, you're not ready for heaven? Well, the church has said in a very simple way, without defining very much, there is a place of purification. There is a process of purification that happens even after death. Now, the fancy word for purification is purgation. Thus, the place of purgation is called purgatory. So, what is this purgatory like? Well, there's not a lot of definition to it in the church's teaching. There are a lot of images that are used and a lot of concepts that are put out, but not too much that the church has officially taught about what that looks like. But what we know fundamentally is that it's a place of purification. And the fact is, you don't get purified without a bit of suffering. If it were all easy, we would have been purified already in this lifetime. But we resist purification because we resist suffering. Think of patience. Think of somebody who is infinitely patient. Think of how many patience it requires to become infinitely patient. And I think all of us can identify with times that we've been really impatient. We just don't want to put up with somebody. Somebody really irritates us. Things are not going the way that they're supposed to. We get impatient with inanimate objects like traffic lights and broken cars. We get impatient with irrational creatures like dogs and cats. You know, we get impatient with the uh, with institutions like the the government or with healthcare or with uh, taxes or something. You know, we get impatient with a whole lot of stuff, and we get impatient with ourselves. In heaven, everybody is infinitely patient. <laughs> So so what is it going to take to develop some patience in us? Well, that's going to be some purification. So whatever images you like to use for purgatory, you can bet that it's not a place that you want to be in too much. Anticipate it. Do it now. Learn patience now. Learn to love now. Learn to trust now. Learn to trust in God and trust in others now. Learn to be generous now. Um, It's going to have to happen sooner or later. 
Purgatory is the place where all of our virtues are perfected. Learn to fast now. Learn to suffer a little bit in our bodies in order to choose the greater good, to really make God all in all and the most important thing for us. It's kind of basically what's happening in purgatory is God is being moved into his proper position as the true pinnacle of our value hierarchy, really being the most important thing, person in our life. And so we got some work to do to get there. So that's the kind of basic concept of what purgatory is as a, as a continuation of the earthly journey after death, which has not yet arrived in heaven. Now we have the consolation of knowing that anybody who is still on the journey will get there. They're not condemned to hell if they're in purgatory, if they're still on the journey towards heaven, going through that purification. Uh, and the, another thing that we know about purgatory, and this gets back to your question, Joe, is that there is a way that we can help each other make that journey. Pope Benedict described purgatory in the most concise and beautiful way of anything that I've read in his encyclical on hope, which in Latin is called space salvi. And that encyclical on hope, saved in hope, has a section on suffering and hope, on uh, rather hope and judgment. It's the last section in the encyclical, hope and judgment. And he talks about purgatory. And he explains the, the meaning of purgatory. And uh, one of the things he also points out there about purgatory is, you know, the purification is real. And the purification also has to do with the, the kinds of injustices we've carried out in our lives. You know, we've talked a little bit in our program about, and it's terrible even to, to bring it up again, but clergy who have molested children, just horrific. Well, they need to be purified of that. They need to really face what they have done. They need to face the lifelong damage that they have caused for someone, maybe for multiple people. They can't just slip away without facing that. They need to really see it. And when you really see the evil that you've done, and now this applies to all of us in one degree or another, when we really see the evil that we have done, willingly and you know, unwillingly, knowingly and unknowingly, we're, we're all in a different place in terms of our guilt for that. But we need to really see that. That's part of our purification. You don't get to heaven by being in denial. And that denial, that film of denial, that blindness of denial will get broken. So you don't have to worry about people who did horrible things just kind of getting into heaven without ever dealing with any of that. Now, purgatory is also a place of justice. There's justice that's carried out there. And, and whatever degree of suffering we need to really purify those things in our hearts, really move us in humility, repentance, sorrow for our sins, opening our hearts in charity to really see the people we have hurt and to learn to love them. That also happens in purgatory. So there's an there's a element of justice that's carried out, and we can feel good about that. For the injustices carried out against ourselves, 
And we can shake about that a little bit for the injustice we've committed ourselves. Might as well get the repentance underway now. Start it right away. And that's why we have confession also and the penance that goes along with it and some of those built-in penances of shame and guilt and even prison sentences and broken relationships and our own failures that lead us into poverty, you know, when you cheat somebody and then they take it out on you. Anyway, there's lots of built-in penance for our, our bad actions. But the point is that, you know, some of that stuff is going to get played out in purgatory. We, you just don't get out of this for free. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a price to be paid. So all of that happens in purgatory. And then we're also able to accompany people in purgatory with our love and our prayers and our sacrifices. And Pope Benedict said it in a kind of simple way. He said, you know, we don't sin alone, even what I've been talking about. There are other people who are complicit in it, who make it possible. A lot of those people who molest others were themselves molested. You know, we're kind of all enmeshed in this thing together. We're all tied together in our in our sins and our we're complicit with each other. Corruption has a way of, you know, if there weren't somebody to cover it up, then it couldn't persist like it does. So there's a lot of network of uh, of evil and sin. And Pope Benedict said, you know, we don't sin alone and we're not saved alone. And so just as we, we let other people into sin and we bear some responsibility for the sins of others, and so we can also bear some of the responsibility for the salvation of others. And we can do that by our prayers and by our sacrifices. And you mentioned the word that we use for them, uh, especially in the Roman Rite, indulgences. Indulgences have kind of a bad name because of their association with uh, various characters back at the time of Martin Luther. But indulgences in their essence are a recognition that some of the good I do can be uh, extra. And so just like some of my sin has a way of spilling over and maybe affecting your life, Joe. You know, you're always rescheduling for me and making time for me. And some of that's my disorganization and, you know, some of that's my own selfishness and whatever else, you know, and you're affected by that. And your wife is affected by you being affected and you're busy. You know, I mean, anyway, we're, our sin has a way of spilling over into the lives of others, sin and weakness as a way of spilling over into the lives of others. And so our good deeds, our prayers and sacrifices, they also can spill over into the lives of others. So I do a lot of praying. And that praying helps me, but it also helps you and it helps all our listeners. There's a way that kind of my extra prayers spill over. And then we also realize the saints, those canonized saints, you know, Our Lady above all, and St. Joseph and the apostles, and then all those saints, we talked about St. Francis and St. Dominic and St. Benedict and uh, St. John Baptist de La Salle and all of these wonderful saints. Well, they did, you know, we can think, kind of think of it as extra. They loved in such an intense way. They prayed and sacrificed in such an intense way that we, we say that they have a treasury of merit. That is to say, they gave themselves freely and uh, loved God in a way that, you know, kind of builds up. There's a buildup of goodness. Just like there can be a buildup of evil, there can be a buildup of goodness. And we draw from that through certain practices of prayer, works of mercy, acts of penance. And so, just as one example, praying the rosary together, 
is a plenary indulgence. We can draw on the merits of the saints, that treasury of merits, and we can apply that to somebody in purgatory or apply it to ourselves. Now, spending a half an hour in prayer in front of the blessed sacrament is a, is a plenary indulgence. Spending a half hour praying with the word of God, Lexio Divina, is a plenary indulgence. So there's a few of these practices and then little, little prayers, morning offerings, and um, lots of uh, different things that we can do that uh, are just a way of spilling over some goodness to touch the lives of those who are being purified and their dependence on us, the fact that they can't do it for themselves, that they have to depend on us and wait on us, that helps to deepen the patience. And it also does justice for those who maybe committed atrocious crimes and don't get prayed for very much, um, you know, but, but uh, we help each other in, in go, getting closer to heaven and being purified. Even, even after death, we can continue helping those who are in purgatory. So a couple of questions have come up from that explanation. So the first is, is getting to the core concepts. You need to get purified to be able to be with God. So that's what we're going through. So my question is this, is that here on earth, the way we become closer to God is through the sacraments. Will basically will communion and will confession still exist up in purgatory? You know, after you're passed away, um, that was one of my questions. Because if the goal is to become closer to God, the easiest way we can do that here is go to confession, go to communion. It's pretty straightforward. Wanted to see if that was still there, and I see what you're saying about as far as the patience to have all of us to do these extra steps beyond just going to a mass on Sunday, but to, to go beyond. You mentioned a couple there. I know that stations of the cross, it's written in the beginning of the booklet that this is an example. Um, I know reading about uh, Pope John Paul II is that he would go to the stations of the cross every Friday. And then during Lent, he would do it three times a day and, you know, just stuff like that. And, just as a note, and this is probably inevitable, you see people who go through doing the above and the beyond extras, which essentially is how I'd characterize most of the indulgences that you just said. They end up seeming to be inherently closer to God here on earth. You know, they're the people who, I don't know how to say this, but are look like they're already closer to God. So they're going to need less purification when the time is there. And the way that they're doing it is on earth, doing extra steps, becoming closer by reading the Bible more, you know, living out the stations and stuff of that nature. So I wanted to, to bring that up because it was a question that I had going through this and my thought process. Yeah. Um, I like to make these simple equivalences that I know we've made on you know much earlier episodes, but heaven is God. And so those who are in heaven are like God. We call them holy. Uh, actually, the word saint from the Latin sanctus or, uh, you know, means holy, just means holy. So those who are in heaven are holy and holiness being like God has been revealed in Christianity as love. God is love. And so to be holy is to be love, to be filled with God, to be filled with love. 
And so uh, how do we become more heavenly? We become more loving. And yes, those who are actually making sacrifices, praying, you know, making the stations, doing pilgrimages, who are spending extra time in prayer, reading the scriptures, loving Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, who are praying the rosary together, you know, all these things, well, of course they become more loving. You know, presuming they're doing all of those things for the right reasons. You know, they're, they're doing them out of love for those who are in purgatory, that they're doing them just out of love for God to praise him. So, um, yeah, those who do plenary indulgences grow in love. They grow in holiness. And so they prepare themselves. They already are, are taking heaven into themselves, those seeds of the gospel, that yeast of Christ. They're taking it into themselves, taking heaven into themselves when we take time in prayer and, and do indulgences and offer ourselves in love for those who are being purified. And so you, you make a great observation. So, yeah. So so the, the goal is to become closer to God. We, I guess this might just be something we don't know because you did say off the bat that the church hasn't done a lot of in-depth teaching about purgatory. But is a part of purifying is obviously dealing with suffering, but is there... I guess that versions of sacraments once we get there. Mm. The the other thought process is, you know, one of the options you have with purifying is you could just say, I don't want to be purified and tap out altogether. And I'm assuming that's the option of going into hell. Um, So I, I, that might be completely wrong outright as well, but I wanted to, uh, to see if those thought processes have any, any bearing. Yeah, the way that you described it is certainly a very legitimate way to describe the condemnation to hell, the unwillingness to purify. There's a nice image that we can use if we use the image of fire. We use the image of fire to describe love, right? Passionate love. We see the heart of of Jesus burning with love for us. And that's a fire that consumes it makes everything like itself and that's what god's love does his the fire of his love consumes us and makes us like himself now there's a way that fire also burns and purifies and so we can see that same fire of god's love purifying those in purgatory burning away all of the imperfections burning away all of the selfishness burning away all of the vices so same image of fire Two different applications. When we're ready to be totally consumed, we become one with the fire. When we need those impurities to be burned away, you know, the fire also does that. Now, if we choose not to be purified, just like you said, Joe, then what happens? We still burn, but we're never consumed. And so we just burn forever. And then we don't become like fire. We're always resisting it. And so there's always a suffering there. That's also an image that Pope Benedict uses in Space Salvi in that same section I mentioned in um, Hope and Judgment. So it's a beautiful image that we can that we can look to. In terms of the sacraments, um, it's kind of funny. I'm not sure I've ever thought specifically about purgatory. Certainly, there are no sacraments in heaven because sacraments are a sign that's pointing to a reality. The reality is Jesus. 
you know, the sacrament of the Eucharist is giving us Jesus. It's representing the eternal reality of his crucifixion and uh, giving us his body and blood to eat. You know, the sacrament of confession is also Jesus absolving sins. In heaven, there are no sins. And so we don't need that kind of absolution. I don't think that there would be the sacraments as such in purgatory, but some something of the effect of that, uh, an encounter with Jesus and certainly a receiving of uh, of forgiveness and things along those lines, there could be some uh, form of that. But yeah, it's not totally clear. Again, the the images of purgatory are largely mystics and and they never even really stuck with me very much. I've sort of held on to it more in the ways that I've described as a place of purification, just knowing that that purification will take place without understanding exactly how it will take place. But one more image I'll just mention is C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, is a wonderful book which really describes purgatory in a, in a very beautiful way as a, you know kind of the continuation of this journey after death into eternal life. Well, beautiful. And thank you for, for addressing this and giving knowledge to something that I, I never really thought of and, and definitely a, a deeper understanding of it. So we thank everyone out there for listening. If this episode has meant something to you, please share it with those you think who would also benefit from it. And then also please click subscribe. It's the way that we grow and we've grown tremendously over the last year and a half. So we thank everyone for being out there and to continuing to tell your friends around you. Thank you guys very much and have a great week.